If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Adam, and I am a non-staff pastor here. Super glad to be teaching this morning. Uh, my son Jude is two and a half, and one of his favorite words right now is why. And sometimes it's really adorable, sometimes it's really annoying. Uh, so Jude and I like to play tag a lot these days, and our house is laid out kind of like a big circle, and so we'll literally run circles around the house playing tag. And I'm not in the best shape right now, so I get pretty tired. So after 10, 15, 20 minutes of running laps around the house playing tag, I'll tell Jude, Jude, I, I need to take a little break. Why? Very annoying. Um, sometimes uh, it's, it's hilarious. Um, my wife, Sunny, right now is, is pregnant. We're expecting our second in January. Thrilled about that. Um, and uh, Jude and Sunny will have conversations often about baby these days. And uh, Jude will ask things like, can baby come out to play? And Sonny will say, no, Jude, baby can't come out to play. Why? And then how do you answer that question? I mean, <laughs> uh, so before, before I get started with today's sermon on the spiritual practice of hospitality, I briefly want to zoom out and consider why we engage spiritual practices together as a church uh, so that you can see how this standalone sermon fits into a broader picture, a broader vision of spiritual practices that help us to be at home in the love of God. So why, just as a trigger word for me right now, I need to stop saying it. So why spiritual practices? Uh, we first need to consider the aim of a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who aims to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And so being with Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Spirit of God. Becoming like Jesus is pursuing healing and wholeness in our inner world and cultivating Jesus-like character. And then doing what Jesus did is doing what Jesus would do if he were you. And as we live with that aim, we'll experience what Jesus says in John 10.10 10, is life in all of its fullness the best possible version of life. And so how do we attain that kind of life? It takes practice. And that's why we have spiritual practices, otherwise known as spiritual disciplines. They're time-tested practices given to us by Jesus and practiced by his disciples for millennia. And they're a means to an end of being with Jesus, becoming like him, doing what he did, they're a means to the end of being at home in the love of God. And that's why, as a church, we focus on a different spiritual practice each quarter. The first quarter of this year, we focused on the practice of being with Jesus through Bible reading. Second quarter, doing what Jesus did through uh, service. Third quarter, uh, we've been focusing on being with Jesus through prayer. And then this quarter, we're focusing on doing what Jesus did through hospitality. And we want to engage these practices, not just alone, but together as a whole church, because we need the support of one another to practice the way of Jesus. It's not easy. And so engaging these practices together gives us the support that we need to follow him uh, in a, a moment when it is particularly difficult to follow the way of Jesus. And so today we launch our practice on hospitality that we'll focus on for the rest of the year as we seek to do what Jesus did together. And so Bridget is going to come forward and uh, lead us in our scripture reading for
for today uh, from Leviticus and from Luke. Our scripture readings for today are from Leviticus 19, 33 through 34 and Luke 14, 12 through 14. Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as you love yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Luke 14, 12 through 14. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. For if you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is God's word. Thanks, Bridget. Think about the best meal that you have ever experienced. For me, uh, the best meal I've ever experienced was in Vancouver, British Columbia. And it wasn't just because I was in Canada, though I love Canada. Um, Sunny and I were on a baby moon before Jude was born. And there was a family in our old church that gave us a super generous gift to be able to go on this baby moon. And they gave us the instructions specifically to go out to a very nice meal that we would never go out to ourselves. Uh, And so we went hard. We had our first experience of a tasting menu and a Michelin-starred restaurant. um, And all was going super well until we hit the escargot course. And then (laughs) I'd never had escargot. I didn't know what to do. It kind of freaked me out, the idea of eating a snail. Um, But the the, uh, waiter that was serving us that evening uh, was amazing, and he gave us just this lengthy description of how these snails were raised. And they ate an exclusive diet of basil. Basil. And it was amazing. Like, those snails were delicious. I went for it. We had a great time, uh, and it was a good rest of the evening, even though I've never had a scurro since then. But it was good. It was good. Um, And that meal, though it was a product of the hospitality industry, it really felt like a home-cooked meal because the couple that gave us the gift to, to engage that to meal and enjoy it together uh, are really the most hospitable people that I know. They're incredible. Uh, they have had a uh, man who is coming out of being incarcerated live with them for over a year as he kind of got back on his feet and reconciled with his children and family. Um, they've had high school students over to their house weekly to engage the story of God. Uh, they regularly have community from their church um, over to their house weekly for, for meals, a uh, community that doesn't look like them. Uh, they're just incredibly hospitable, and they've been incredibly hospitable to me. Um, for those of you who know my story, know that I lost my mom when I was in high school. And so growing up, I didn't have much of a, a vision of what a two-parent household and marriage and parenting looked like. And this family knew that. Um, and so as I was Uh, into college years and years just after college, they regularly just invited me into the everyday rhythms of their family, invited me over to meals, invited me to see them parent, invited me to see their marriage, even see conflict in their marriage. Uh, And it was so great to be able to gain a picture for just some gaps that I had um, that I'm still thankful to God for that have informed the kind of husband and father that I am today. 
And they've served dozens, maybe hundreds of people in this way. It's a picture of the hospitality that Jesus invites all of us to embody in all of life. And that's our focus for today, is that Jesus invites us to open our tables and our lives to those who are not like us and cannot pay us back. And that's why in this season, we're inviting everyone in our church to share one meal with someone that they normally wouldn't. As we engage this practice together, it just might be at our tables as it is in heaven. And as we move through this this morning, we'll have four movements. Uh, The first, hospitality envisioned. We'll trace the thread of hospitality through the story of God. And then second, hospitality lost. We'll explore why we keep our tables and our lives closed. Third, hospitality redeemed. Uh, We'll consider the gospel that welcomes all to the table. And then hospitality enacted. Uh, We'll look at Jesus' vision for our lives and our tables today. So first, hospitality envisioned. God's vision for hospitality is completely distinct from anything that we can find in broader culture. It's distinct from the hospitality industry. It's distinct uh, from dinner parties with friends. It's distinct from having family over for the holidays. And so we need to begin with a really big theological vision uh, for hospitality to be able to really consider its beauty and distinctiveness from other lesser visions of hospitality that surround us. And so we're going to begin with tracing the thread of hospitality through the story of God, that six-act play, the six chapters of the story of God, creation, fall, promise, redemption, kingdom, and restoration. And so we'll begin with the first chapter with creation. And in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we're introduced to the main character of the story, God, and he is like a cosmic host. So I'd love to hear from just a couple people, how does God create a hospitable environment for the first humans? Mm, Yeah, it's a good garden. Yeah. Probably food that was better than escargot. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I can share it with you afterwards. You know, I'm not, let's connect with it about it after the gathering, but I can, I can share it with you for sure. Yeah, you bet. Um, so they got some good food. It's a good garden. Anything else? Any other ways God creates a hospitable environment? Mm, he shares himself with them. Yeah, it's a beautiful insight. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine how beautiful. Hmm. Yeah, and as we, as we consider what that, that environment was, was like, if you think about Eden, kind of like a map, the boundaries of the map are Eden, in the middle of, garden, of Eden, we have the garden. And that garden is a place where God dwells. It's his home on earth. Um, and we see that that is the place that humans are invited to dwell with him, specifically in the place that God dwells within Eden, in the garden. We read Genesis 2, and the Lord God planted a garden in, the, in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And all is well. 
until chapter 2, the fall. Uh, first humans, of course, don't listen to God, and they disobey. And one of the consequences of that disobedience of the first humans is that they have to leave God's home. We read in Genesis chapter 3, He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. It's a tragic scene. It's the first boundary marker in the story. Humans are now outsiders in God's home, uh, and yet God mercifully continues to protect and to provide for his people outside of the Garden of Eden. And we see that as we move into chapter 3, Promise, where his people, the Israelites, keep moving further east of Eden, keep moving further away from God's presence, all the way to Egypt, where they find themselves as outsiders living in a foreign land, oppressed and without hope. And then he tells them to, and then in that place, God, he rescues them, he provides for them, and he gives them a home. And he tells them to do the same thing for others. We read in Leviticus 19, uh, 33 to 34, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I love that passage. And as we unpack it a little bit, uh, when it's referring to a sojourner, it's referring to someone who is an outsider, a foreigner, someone who was passing through the land of Israel and was particularly vulnerable. Think of refugees even in today's environment. Uh, They're vulnerable people. And so how does God instruct us to treat people in this, uh, or how does God instruct his people, rather, to treat these vulnerable outsiders? Like a native, like one of their own, like they were a part of the family. And why? Why is that uh, to be their disposition towards the sojourner? Because what God has done to Israel, he wants to do through Israel. What God did to Israel is he rescued them. When they were outsiders in Egypt, he rescued them and gave them a home, And so now he wants to use them uh, so that through them, uh, they would do the same thing. And that would come at a significant political and economic and social cost. True hospitality always comes with a cost. But Israel was to be a community that treated outsiders like insiders. It's the biblical picture of hospitality. Author Rosaria Butterfield defines biblical hospitality simply as love of stranger. Love of stranger great definition. Another one that I like from Pastor John Mark Comer, uh, he defines hospitality as expressing the welcome of God the Father through all tangible, or through tangible acts of love, ideally through giving of food, shelter, and relationship. And he goes on to say that hospitality is first and foremost a heart posture that leaks out of your life through tangible acts of love heart posture that leaks out of your life through tangible acts of love. And we see that reflected in passages like this. When an Israelite opened their home and their uh, neighbor from another nation was, was traveling through, that would be like a little bit of heaven coming to earth, like a little pocket of Eden restored at their tables. And of course, Tragically, Israel largely fails to do this. They don't treat their neighbors this way. And so God sent a true and better Israel, 
Jesus who would more fully bring heaven to earth. And we move forward to chapter 4, redemption, where Jesus comes and we read in the Gospels that he comes eating and drinking. And as he came eating and drinking, he specifically came eating and drinking with those who are yet to experience the Father's welcome. Those who are on the margins, those who the religious elite rejected, those who are at the very bottom of the social totem pole. In that day, uh, that would be prostitutes and tax collectors, people who made their living selling their bodies and robbing people of money, people who no one wanted to associate with. Those were the people that Jesus welcomed into his presence over long meals together, enjoying bread and wine and extended time around the table. And as Jesus did this, he reversed the curse of the fall. Outsiders became insiders. He created little pockets of Eden at his tables. And he then commanded us to be hospitable in the same ways. We read in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. It's basically the list of everyone that we tend to invite. Uh, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The way of surrounding culture is to invite people to your table who look like you and can pay you back. The way of Jesus is to invite people to your table that do not look like you and cannot pay you back. And Jesus invites us to practice his way of hospitality together as the church. And we see that as we move into the next chapter, chapter 5, Kingdom, where we as the church get to embody and fulfill everything that Israel was supposed to be but wasn't. We as a church get to open our tables and our lives to those who are not like us and cannot pay us back. And as we do, we get to create little pockets of Eden at our tables and point forward ultimately to the end of the story where we see in chapter 6, restoration, where heaven and earth are one, where God's space and human space are one in a reality even better than Eden, even more beautiful, even more delicious food because we will feast forever with Jesus gathered around the table with him with new bodies, eating bread and drinking wine and enjoying the fullness of Jesus together forever. And that is where the story is going in the ultimate feast. Problem is that we're quick to forget this vision for hospitality. What did your table look like last month? Was there anyone at your table who didn't look like you? Was there anyone at your table that couldn't pay you back? Many in this room can answer those questions, yes. I believe that this is one of the strengths of our church. Uh, Every week, Georgia and John create spaces of hospitality and share a pancake meal with unhoused friends in Golden Gate Park. I personally want to continue to learn from Georgia and John uh, how to be hospitable to friends on the margins. Many of our citizens' communities regularly gather around tables and open their lives to those who do not look like them. 
I've heard from many visitors uh, to our church that they've experienced our Sunday gatherings as welcoming and inviting and safe. So I just want to say, well done. Uh, that is who we are as a church. That's part of our culture. That's uh, really a strength of our church, and I'm so thankful to God for that. And yet, all of us can grow in this. There's a next step for all of us today. Was there anyone at your table last month that didn't look like you? Was there anyone at your table last month that couldn't pay you back? And if you're like me, and you answered either of those questions, no, why is that? The reason might be that you have a hard time receiving hospitality. And here's what I mean by that. In order to give hospitality, we first have to receive it. And personally, I can have a hard time receiving hospitality. One way that's shown up for me is at restaurants. When I was in college, a friend of mine got engaged and wanted to go to dinner with him and his new fiance. And so uh, first mistake was we went to Chili's. Um, and after having a super mediocre meal, uh, it came time to pay for the meal, uh, and I was set on paying for it, but somehow my friend was able to stealthily grab the bill. And uh, I'll spare you the details, but a minor altercation later, I ripped the bill out of my friend's hand and insisted that I was going to pay for that darn meal. And it's a story that we look back on and some of the details of it to this day. But in that moment, I, I didn't want to receive my friend's generosity. I didn't want to be the one in need. I wanted to give to my friend instead. Can you relate to that? Do you have a hard time sometimes receiving hospitality from others? Do you have a hard time sometimes receiving hospitality from God? We need God's hospitality. Apart from Jesus, this is just how needy we are of God's hospitality. Ephesians 2. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, that's referring to everyone who wasn't an Israelite, um, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, uh, what is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Our need for God's hospitality. We were like the sojourner that we read about in Leviticus, passing through Israel in need of hospitality, vulnerable. We were separated from Christ. We were alienated from God's people. We were strangers. We had no hope. We were without God in the world, and we could never pay him back. And that's really bad news. And you have to see just how bad it is because apart from Jesus, all of that is true of you. But, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Through the shed blood of Jesus, though you were an outsider, now you are God's family. Though you were dead, now you are alive. Though you were separated from Christ, now you are one with him. Though you were without God, now he dwells in you. 
Though you were alienated from God, now you belong to him. Though you had no seat at the table, now you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Though you were a child of wrath, now you are a child of God. And that is the hospitality of God towards you, that he makes outsiders insiders and that he welcomes us home. Have you received God's hospitality? Have you received his tender welcome? Maybe this morning on a deeper level, you're wondering, does God really welcome all of me? Does he welcome me even though there's sinful parts of me? Does he welcome me even though there are parts of me that I'm ashamed of? Does he welcome me even though there's parts of me that I, I wish weren't there? He does. He does. Do you need to receive his welcome afresh this morning? Let him welcome you home just as you are today. To experience him as your place of belonging, of refuge, of home. Take 30 seconds just to dwell on the reality that God welcomes all of you today. He welcomes you. And what God has done to you, he wants to do through you. He welcomes you when you were an outsider, and so now he invites us to welcome outsiders, to be hospitable to those who are not like us and cannot pay us back. The our tables might be expressions that people can taste and see and touch and smell of what heaven looks like when it comes to earth. That our tables and our lives would be little pockets of Eden. That our feasting wouldn't be to indulge ourselves, but that our feasting uh, wouldn't be to gain status, but rather that we would feast because we have a king who welcomes us home. That we would feast because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken that we feast because we are citizens of a kingdom where rich and poor and black and white and young and old and powerful and weak and housed and unhoused are all welcomed as equals around the table to behold our great king. What if we lived like that? What if we lived our lives in such a way that those who have yet to experience the Father's welcome experience a deep sense of belonging at our tables and in our presence. And that over time, that sense of belonging leads to many believing in Jesus. That's what Jesus did as he moved through life. He spent so much time around the table with people like tax collectors and prostitutes and the poor and the sick 
that he was falsely accused by the religious elite of being a glutton and a drunkard. He was neither of those things, but that was his reputation. Would the same thing be true said of us? Not true of us, but said of us. Um, Jesus was like a magnet attracting those who were rejected from the religious crowd. He was like a magnet attracting those who were far from God. May the same thing be true of us. I pray that we would see this happen increasingly in our church over this next year. That friends who've yet to experience the Father's welcome would find our church as a welcoming community where they truly belong. A place where they feel like family. A place where they know that they will be loved no matter what they believe. A place where they are welcomed around our tables. That they experience uh, through that and that they hear the good news of the gospel, and that that would lead to them even becoming a part of the family of God, even declaring Jesus to be Lord through baptism. That belonging would lead to belief. And if you're here this morning, and you haven't yet experienced the welcome of the Father, you're here this morning, and you don't believe, or you're not sure if you believe, we're honored that you're here. I hope that you experience our community as one that is truly welcoming of you no matter where you are at this morning. You are always welcome here no matter what you believe. And I hope and pray you experience a deep sense of belonging in our community. And so if we want to be that kind of hospitable community, where do we start this month? I want to get super practical. Step one is being with Jesus. Theologian Andrew Shepard writes, any love we have for the other is simply fruit that is produced as the love of the hospitable God fills and expands itself. As John states, we love because he first loved us. Such hospitality, rather than stemming from duty, becomes a free outward expression of the love that the self dwelling in Christ is experiencing. Last weekend, I went to the Conservatory of Flowers with Jude for the first time. It's a great experience. Uh, one of the challenges of it, though, is that you can't touch any of the plants. And a two-and-a-half-year-old likes to touch everything. Um, and so that was hard to kind of just keep him away from touching any of the fancy plants. Uh, but there was one plant that you could touch uh, because it was on its way out. <laughs> uh, the oldest vine in the building had lost a leaf, and it was huge. It was like this big. Uh, and there was a little chalkboard that said, touch this leaf, uh, and gave kind of the explanation of it. So Jude touched the leaf, and I did too. Um, and it was a little bit sad, though, because I knew that this leaf was about to die because it was disconnected from the vine. And it just reminded me of Jesus' teaching in John 15 that the only way that we can have spiritual life is to remain connected with him. The only way we can do anything of value in the kingdom is to remain connected to him. The only way that we can do what Jesus did is through being with Jesus first. And so as a church, let's continue to practice being with Jesus. Continue to cultivate a sense of attentiveness to the Spirit throughout your days. Continue to engage practices like Bible reading and Acts prayer and listening prayer that we've been growing in as a church to keep yourself grounded in God's love for you. And then, from that place of being with Jesus, here's the invitation. Share one meal with someone this month you normally wouldn't. What would keep you from doing that? Maybe there's some practical challenges that, that come to mind for you. 
Uh, here's, here's a few. Maybe you feel like you don't have the skill set needed for hospitality. The reality is you need many skills to entertain. Uh, you need few skills for simple hospitality. And our goal with this practice is not entertainment. That's not what we're aiming for. What we're aiming for is hospitality. Entertainment says, look at me. Look at what a great host I am. Look at this experience. Look at this cocktail I can make. Look at this cool smoked rib that I made in my Traeger. Look at this thing that I made on my green egg. Whatever. That's entertainment. That's not what we're going for. What we're going for is hospitality. Hospitality says, look at you. Entertainment says, look at me. And with practice, anyone can share a conversation over a simple meal and make that conversation about them. And maybe you're here and you're like, man, that sounds great, but I don't know where to cook. I don't know how to cook. Uh, just get takeout. Start there. There's simple, easy ways for anyone to engage this practice. Share a meal. Make the conversation about the other person. But maybe your challenge is that you feel like you lack resources, uh, like money or physical space, to be able to engage this practice. Uh, we have a lot to learn about hospitality from those who have fewer resources. Uh, more resources does not equal better hospitality. Uh, some of my favorite experiences of hospitality have actually, personally for me, been with those who have the least to give, who have to sacrifice a lot to engage in hospitality. Last week, in our citizens' community, a friend told a story about visiting a refugee camp overseas. And the most striking thing to him about that experience was that multiple refugees invited him into their, ten into their tents to share their rations with him. I've thought about that story often this last week. It's, it's bugged me in a really good way. Um, that refugees would invite my friend into their tents to share their rations. Those with the least, those with almost nothing to give, sharing the little that they have. Those with the least are often the most hospitable. Maybe your concern is, is lack of physical space. I know often of, you know, many of us live in, in smaller living spaces in the city. Um, if you lack physical space, there's ways to get creative with that. Go to someone else's table or have a picnic in one of our parks. Hospitality isn't just about hosting meals. Uh, it can also be a posture that we get to engage as we share meals at someone else's table and make the conversation about them in that space. All of us, any of us, are able to do this. Maybe another reservation for you, though, is you feel like you just don't have enough time. And to that, I want to I ask you the question, is there a way that you can be intentional over additional? What I mean by that is you're already going to eat 21 meals this week. Hopefully. Uh, it's good to eat three meals a day. Uh, without adding much to your life, uh, is there a way that you could be intentional with one of those meals? Maybe eating lunch with a coworker, inviting a neighbor over for a meal, have a kid, uh, have your, if you have a child, have them invite one of their friends over for dinner, uh, get breakfast with someone from your community before work. So many ways that that could look. Uh, but how could you be intentional with one of those 21 meals uh, to use it to share with someone who you normally wouldn't share a meal with. No matter what, hospitality will require sacrifice. There should be things that we don't have time to do because we're being hospitable. It requires a sacrifice of time. There should be things that we can't afford because we're regularly being hospitable. It requires sacrifice financially. 
but it's worth it. The reason that I'm preaching this, morning, this sermon this morning um, is, is because of the hospitality that I've received from a couple, CJ and Renee Bergman. Uh, I probably have not, would not have moved to San Francisco with my wife, Sunny, were it not for CJ and Renee, and specifically the hospitality that we received from them. They're two of the most hospitable people that I know. And I remember uh, the first time that I, I met CJ and Renee. Uh, CJ was preaching his first wedding, and he was a little bit nervous. It was cute. Uh, and I was the videographer at the wedding, and afterwards, uh, when things had died down from the festivities, uh, we spent some time just getting to know one another, and CJ and Renee just had time and space to linger in that conversation. They made me feel welcomed and valued and significant, um, and in subsequent opportunities that we had to continue to get to know one another. I was in the East Bay at the time. CJ was in the city. Uh, every time I was with them, I just felt welcomed in their presence, felt a sense of belonging. Uh, whether I was in their, their home, whether I was in a coffee shop, whether I was in a car uh, with them, that was just a consistency of how I experienced them. And they were so generous with everything they had, like with their space. When they were out of town, they'd throw up a message on a Soma pastor's thread and different Soma pastors would stay in their home. Sonny and I stayed in their home one time when they were out of town, um, which was, was great. And I know so many uh, in our church have experienced the same thing. I know some have, have joined and don't know uh, CJ and Renee personally, um, but so many of our church who, who did know them have experienced the same thing. I believe that hospitality is one of their greatest gifts, and their hospitality is a beautiful picture of what Jesus is like beautiful picture of what Jesus invites us to. Jesus invites us to open our tables and open our lives to those who are not like us and cannot pay us back. And so hear his invitation again to you this morning. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you, and in return you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This month, share one meal with someone who you normally wouldn't. And as you do, may it be at your tables as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for welcoming us. Thank you for making us to be your sons and daughters that you love, that you delight in. Father, I pray that we'd experience that this morning, that we'd experience your welcome, your hospitality afresh, even as we come to the table where we just have a sense of, of how welcomed we are by you in your presence. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who are famous for hospitality, um, hospitality that doesn't make much of us, but makes much of those who we get to serve and makes much of you. Father, thank you for the ways that you've built that into our church, the good fruit that's come from it. And Father, we pray for more. 
God, would you grow us in this? Would you stretch us in this? Would you grow that muscle over these coming months? Um, Father, I pray uh, that you give us creativity, that you would speak to us and guide us by your spirit in even ways that you'd specifically want us to do that over these coming months. Um, would you help us to have the courage to step into situations that might be uncomfortable um, to do so? Um, and God, I pray as we do that it truly would be uh, increasingly on earth as it is in heaven, in our homes, at our tables, and in our city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.